Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Why do some people feel drawn to the sky? Do today's UFO investigators have enough respect for the subject? What does reincarnation have to do with UFOs? Coming to you from WOON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. Uh, I'm Paul, and those uh, high sky sky high questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and son Ben. Today we bring you a distinguished guest for his second appearance on the show. Uh, we also welcome back our popular guest co-host and cousin Rick Eno. Interested in all areas of the paranormal, Rick is a certified investigator for the Mutual UFO Network and has been our show's Northern California reporter for several years. He lives with his lovely family in the San Francisco area. And uh, we have had some technical issues with our communications today. As Ben said, uh, we can land a man on the moon, but we cannot call California. Uh, Rick, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am. Oh, great. Okay. Well, there's one down. <laughs> okay. Uh, our guest today, now before we introduce our guest, uh, we acknowledge several grim milestones today. One is the amazing synchronicity that this is our 911th show, and the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks is only a few days away. We didn't plan that. It's just one of those, as I say, synchronicities. And we offer prayers for those who are suffering so much in the wake of Hurricane Ida, including some good friends of this show. We recommend donations to the American Red Cross. Uh, another disaster. As a U.S. veteran, I find the catastrophe in Afghanistan beyond calm mention, but that's outside the purview of this show. Uh, we recommend directrelief.org uh, for a very good way to help uh, those who have been suffering from this Afghanistan uh, issue. Uh, before we uh, continue, too, I just uh, our uh, very uh, kind station manager happened to leave uh, and this is uh, particularly for our local audience. Anyone who reads the Woonsocket Call, which is the local daily paper here, there's uh, in the science and tech section of the Sunday edition today for September 5th, uh, 2021, uh, there is a uh, very central article here on, it says the truth is up there, and it's about um, someone our guests may know, uh, Douglas Wilson, who is the chief investigator for the aforementioned Mutual UFO Network. So that's uh, an interesting synchronicity as well, and uh, looks like an interesting article uh, from the Washington Post News Service, and you might want to check that out if you have access to the one socket call here locally. Okay, <clears throat> uh, far more cheerful than some of this news is today's guest. <clears throat> we're happy to have. Uh, do we have Dev? We do. We do. All right, we're, we're cooking with gas here. We're happy to have Dev Rooney, <clears throat> excuse me, back, um, not via Skype, but we're back in the 20th century, and we have the, both our, our guest co-host and our guest by phone today. Uh, but anyway, we're going to discuss UFO investigations and investigators. Dev is the author of the recently released book, UFO Investigator, a personal look into circumstance, investigations, and discovery. Dev has over 45 years of experience in UFO research and independent investigative work. She has had many UFO sightings, with her main interest being the abduction phenomenon. In 1977, after talking with Betty Hill of the landmark 1961 abduction case in New Hampshire, Dev pursued her quest to become a UFO investigator and researcher. 
She joined the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, in the early, in the mid-1980s and is now the Assistant State Director for Northern California. Deb also was an investigator for MUFON's Star Impact Project. So, Dev Rooney, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, sorry about all the uh, technical gyrations this morning, but, you know, you're, we have your voice and that's what matters. Right. It is, <laughs> it, is, it is radio. We can put a man on the moon. We can get people on the air. That's right. All right. So take it away, Ben. Yes. So I guess we'll, we'll kind of start, you know, very right at the very beginning because that is a very good place to start. Um, Thank you, Mary Poppins. Yes, exactly. Uh, you can just call me Julie Andrews. So the very first chapter of your book has bombshells that just keep coming. Uh, so the, the experience in the tree when you were little and your subsequent emotions about the stars and the sky, um, you know, it, it's all very moving stuff. What can you tell us, um, or well, can you tell us what you think really happened? Uh, back when I was 11, um, well, I didn't know for most of my life what happened. There, obviously, when I was up in the tree, uh, I was a kid hanging out uh, during the summer of 69. And, uh, you know, being up there every day and hanging out and playing, and uh, it was like second nature. You know, it was a big, it was a big tree in the front yard. And, um, and then, but this one day, uh, I was up there, and uh, the next moment, I realized I was waking up about six feet away from the tree on the grass, uh, waking, like coming to consciousness, and I sat up trying to understand what happened, and I looked over at the tree, and I said, wait a minute, I was up in the tree, How, why am I here? So that was the gist of that. I didn't understand why I was in one location, and then the moment, the next moment, I was in another location. And you know, I didn't fall out of it, fall out of it, um, because I, my body was kind of wedged into the main trunk of the tree that kind of goes up. You know what I'm saying? Like if it, it branched off, and um, you know, I was secure up there. It wasn't like I was hanging off a. a a branch. Um, there's there was no way I would have fallen that far out. And for a while, I I wondered about that, and then I kind of forgot about it. And it wasn't until years later, and I don't know and remember what made me remember that particular in, incident. And um, as time went on, and I was an investigator. Uh, for MUFON, I ended up, you know, interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people. I've, I have almost uh, 900 cases under my belt, and, um, and something must have triggered that memory because I, rem- I ended up remembering it, and it, it bothered me, and I wanted to find out by going under regression to find out what happened. Yeah, chapter seven and, of your book has that uh, regression. Yeah, right? so you know, um, I didn't know for a long time, and it wasn't until recently that I found out through regression that yes, I was, uh, I was taken, I was abducted. So um, that's kind of what happened. 
but I didn't learn that until just recently when I went under hypnosis. Okay. Uh, Rick, uh, do you have any comment at this point before we get into some questions from a listener? Uh, yeah, actually, I do. First, um, uh, Dev, there's, um, there's a lot in this, and uh, I hope we can cover a good amount of it. Oh, it's amazing, the, the amount of content in here. Yeah, it, it is. And there's two things that stand out. Um, and I'm going to get, I'm going to cut to the chase if we're going to have listener questions because it's going to be, there's two I have. Um, one is, I was reading your cases, um, in the book. The one that stood out to me was the, the one that was in uh, Lake, uh, Clear Lake National Wildlife Refuge in, in uh, Modoc County, Cal 92. Um, yes, by Tule Lake. It's over by Tule Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I'll, I'll be honest, I had to step back, because, like, there's everything in there. And I wanted to ask you, is that your most, would you say, um, bizarre case, or really um, a, a case that kind of made you stand back, or are there others? And this, this question is for Peter in Bogota, by the way. He wanted to know some of the cases in California. And that one just is, is pretty amazing. Yes, it is. Um, actually, the... Witness, uh, Chris, um, you know, I spent a lot of time with her on the phone. Uh, she, she lives out of state. She doesn't live in California. And um, she ended up doing, she's, she's an artist in her own right, and she did a, a painting for me. And I'm looking at it right now. It's on my wall. Uh, I ended up putting that that image, that painting uh, in the book, and it's, it's amazing, her case. Um, to come, Her and her husband came upon that uh, scene of the two cylindrical objects hovering um, by that lake, and there was what she thought was children running around. And as they were sitting there in their truck, they had stopped, and they saw it. it is a, this is a very remote uh, location and she thought those two objects were airplanes because of the fact that there were uh, multiple like windows or lights at first you know she she did clear up that it they were like windows but they were in a horizontal panel like you would see it on airplanes but there was no wings there was no and this was close range. This is a close encounter. And um, it turned out that it uh, was, there was a, it ha- here's the thing. She, they were abducted, I'm pretty sure, based on the timeline and what happened. But um, those entities were being seen going over to the lake and gra- getting, like, she thought it seemed like they were getting the water and bringing it back to the spotlights that these two craft were uh, shining down onto the ground. And uh, it was a very interesting case, but I think uh, there's so many different cases in this book that I am fascinated by. Um, one of them is the, the young couple that wanted to get away one one uh, one weekend, and they it's it's kind of near Yosemite, but it's a campsite that he's gone through his whole gone to his whole life, 
and they ended up having a traumatic experience of a of a huge what I kind of described as kind of Saturn like um, but it was chasing them because uh, they ended up getting in the car they had already uh, set up their campsite very very remote and um, this thing was chasing them and uh, pretty sure they were abducted as well uh, based on timeline I always when I investigate these close encounters I always make sure that we're doing a a chronicle, um, chronological timeline to make sure that every sequence of events is covered, you know, like then what happened, then what happened. Uh, and in their minds, they're reliving it. And so this is how we can get information. And then when they talk about, like in his case, he Dave's parked the car under a canopy of trees to kind of be hidden from this object. Um the next thing he knows, the sun's coming out, coming up. But here's the thing. He said at the time this thing was chasing them, it was only like around 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and now the sun's coming up. So that's a huge ind- indication that hours went by without him even realizing it. So. I'm writing on the back of the next question. Now, this is a question from Peter Shelley in mm-hmm. Bogota, Colombia, who uh, we give his last name because he's joining our our uh, stable of guest co-hosts, and we'll be hearing from him in the the near future on on shows. So take it away. Nice, indeed. Uh, Sue uh, Peter writes to us one of the the three questions. Uh, w- the first question is one of the most amazing cases. You investigated um, was Henry Sangmaster's UFO encounter in Sacramento, California, in May of 2017. Can you give us a description of the event? Yes, I uh, I met Henry and his fiance at the time uh, at the location, and this was across the street from Aerojet, um, the Aerojet facility in Rancho Cordova. California, and, um, you know, they were just uh, enjoying the evening together, and when they walked out of the the building uh, where they had dinner and stuff, uh, they were in the parking lot, and Henry noticed an object in the sky. At first, he thought it was like a helicopter because of the green light that he saw, and it ended up coming down, and hovering across the street and when it came down it was a like a saucer shaped object um so that he proceeded or they proceeded to get closer to the road there there's a, a road that separates where they were and the facility property of aerojet and this thing was uh hovering probably 20 feet off the ground, and, uh, you know, it was clearly um, a UFO because this the, of the shape. And uh, he had her go, go get the uh, camera or his cell phone because he left it in the car. And while she went to do that, the UFO ended up kind of raising up and uh, traveling 
to the west, and he started to walk down the sidewalk to follow it, you know, walk while it was slowly moving, and ended up kind of making a a left and going over the, it, it was still over the Aerojet property and going south, but he was stand, standing there watching. But, you know, here, here's the thing about that. This is a very busy street, okay? And he said, you know, there was cars. In fact, he couldn't make it across, he couldn't walk across the street to get closer to that property while it was hovering because this is a very busy street. This is, I've actually, I used to work out that way and, um, I'm very familiar with this whole area and I, when I went out there to meet them after work, um, you know, and we were standing out there, I realized, well, there would be a lot of people driving, uh, you know, on this road, but whether they saw it or not, because he was saying, well, wouldn't all these people see it? You know, it's just like right there, it was big, you know, and, and it's like, you don't, you don't know whether or not, here's the thing about when someone sees something, I believe that they have the ability to allow who they want to have have seen. You know, it, it's like uh, what was interesting about that, I always kind of bring this up too, is just kind of like a, an, an explanation, is that uh, Bud Hopkins' book, Witnessed, and where that uh, Linda was, that the woman she was abducted out of her high-rise building, and certain people saw it. And it almost seemed like in that book that they were meant to see it. So I kind of explained that to Henry that maybe it was just them that were to see it. So, yeah, so it was very interesting that there was, you because know, this was not at night. This was... Uh, kind of a late afternoon when this happened and, you know, there was just a lot of cars going by and he was just kind of like scratching his head over that. Like, why Why were we the only ones seeing it? Why didn't these people see it and stop and pull, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, who's to say? Yeah, that's a very interesting point, Dev, <clears throat> and everyone. The, um, the notion that uh, you can have a crowd of people and, right there and some people will see it, some people won't. Uh, that extends beyond the UFO phenomenon into other areas of the paranormal. I'm thinking particularly of the Marian apparitions uh, in Europe, particularly in the 18th and 19th centuries. People would be uh, in an area, in a grotto or something, and, and they'd see a woman standing there, and they assumed it's the Virgin Mary. And when she would communicate with, in this case, usually children, she would say she was and, and, and respond accordingly. But the thing is that, that some people would see this and some people would not when the crowds would gather. Um, one of the interesting things is that uh, these areas where these apparitions took place, I'm thinking particularly of Fatima and Lourdes, are places where there were UFO sightings, uh, places that were, were known since pagan times as fairy grottos, literally. Uh, you know, different apparitions and little people would appear there. So that these... There's a lot more to these things than a lot of people realize, whether it be Marian apparitions or maybe even UFOs. Uh, what say you? Yeah, exactly. Um, that, that was a good uh, example. 
you know. Uh, I just think that it's very interesting how sometimes, like, I, I've seen a lot of UFOs, okay, and I've had people with me. And, you know, you're, and that's the thing about everybody that puts in a report. That, that's the first thing they want to know. Who else saw it? Did anybody else report this? I, you know, they're excited. They want to know that they've been uh, validated by the fact that other people saw it. Uh, in a lot of cases, no, <laughs> there hasn't. There wasn't anyone else that saw it. So, you know, that kind of points to the the idea that those people. There's a reason that they saw it or had that experience only. You know. Okay, uh, Ben, you've been uh, trying to keep body and soul together here technically. Any comments so far? <laughs> um, it's funny that you, that you put it that way. Um, well, you know, there's a really interesting phenomena. I know um, a, a colleague of ours, Andy Kitt, gave a, a really interesting example um, because I know la last time I saw – or we saw him more specifically, he was working on his, his Ph.D., in um, the 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 psychology of of the paranormal almost, and how how our mind experiences it, and he we got we got talking, and I, I and I, I kind of we were just kind of coming up, you know, just you know, chatting, and he he made this really interesting observation that there's a really fascinating thing that happens when the brain encounters something it doesn't understand, right? So like he gave an example of. Group of people see a UFO. Only a few people see it. Our brain tends to interpret things they've already seen before. So they, so if they they see something, you know, they 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 can in, their brain will interpret it and be like, oh, I've seen this before. It's a UFO. But if somebody had never seen one somehow, or even in this particular sense, then. Our, our brains and our, our sort of um, our, our visual our, our visual nervous system is, is so advanced that it can just delete the whole image altogether, right? You know, as as you would know, Father, you hide things in plain sight, right? Because you do, if if you're where you're not expected, right? Nobody expects it or sees it, right? Yeah, actually, in in intelligence training, they used to say. One of the secrets of invisibility is to simply be where you're not expected to be. People won't expect to see you, and very often they won't see you. Right, exactly. Uh -huh. Because our brain interprets things how we think it, they should be. So our perception of reality is what makes the experience. Yeah. Uh, Rick, you want to follow up on that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will follow up on that. Uh... Ben, a.k.a. Julie Andrews' question. Um, mm. So something I thought was interesting about, um, what, uh, first of all, what Ben said about uh, being where you're not expected and not being seen, <clears throat> I think that also kind of applies to, um, in another sense, if you will, to um, uh, perhaps being something or being attached to something that you wouldn't be expected to be attached to in this life. What do I mean by that? Like, uh, and I, this is a question I'm going to put on Dev. Um, you know, we're living this life in the physical universe. Uh, some people can sense things. Other people don't sense things. And I've always thought those people that can sense things, is there something more to them? Is there something more beyond than just their physical being here and being a little sensitive? Um, so my thing is this, uh, Dev. 
I met you uh, by phone first, and I could sense something about you. And when I met you in person, I could sense, you know, there's something more to her. She's searching for it. It's not, it's not uh, so much uh, that you are on uh, your law. You're, you're very well found. You're very well directed. But there's something more I could just sense from you. I don't look at myself as an empath, by the way. I, I have some intuition on things, stocks in particular, but, but I did sense that. And my question to you is, to kind of wrap this up, is how are you connected to everything you've seen from a little girl all these experiences, because I feel there's something more there. There's something more than just you have an interest in UFOs. There's something more than what you you discovered in regression, because you did stop regression at one point. You decided not to ask those questions anymore about regression. So I'm going to hand it over to you to sort of to answer that. Well, Deb, we're going to take that after our break and give you a sense, uh, chance to think about it a little bit. We're, we're going to take our break here. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. Okay, and we are back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our special guest co-host today, Rick Eno, and our wonderful guest, Dev Rooney of Northern California, MUFON. And we will uh, let Dev answer Rick's question from before the break. Take it away, Dev. Hi, yes. Um, So I would say, you know, I gave this a lot of thought. As I was writing this book, um, and even before that, because this is uh, this writing this book was something I had wanted to do for a long time, and um, throughout my life I was not only investigating UFOs but I was uh, researching a lot of things about spirituality and past lives and things. Um, when in 1990 I decided to. Um, go under regression for the first time because I wanted to find out what had happened in several instances of my life that uh, had always been there. I always figured, you know, trying to figure out what happened. And in that particular regression session, um, she had a really hard time breaking um this block that I had and she brought me back out and then said, well, you know, something's blocking you and I'm going to try a a little, something a little different. And I said, okay. So she goes, I'm going to put you back under. So she asked me a question and, you know, my conscious mind is hearing the question. The question was, when was the first time you saw a UFO? Well, I remember when I first saw a UFO, right? 
but that's not what I, that's not what I was saying. That's not what was coming out of my mouth. What was coming out was I talked about the canoe people and I could see in my mind's eye that I was standing up on a ledge looking down on the desert floor and there was this long cylindrical object, but I was calling it like the canoe people. And when she started to question me under hypnosis there, um, it came to pass that this was a past life that I was uh, talking about. I was this Native American boy, um, probably around 15, and I was talking about how uh, the canoe people that came from the stars uh, spoke with my father, my uh, who was the chief, and, and you know, I was shocked to hear myself talk about this. You know, while that, while I while it was happening, and I was just like, "What?" And <clears throat> so, I really think that my soul or my essence, whatever you would like to call it, I've been a part of this whole thing um, for a long time. It, it's not just this life, so. I don't know if that's true for others because, of course, that kind of went beyond anything that MUFON trains you for, you know, like to ask people that no one really go. You know, there's a lot of people that don't experiment and try to find out about past lives. But that was huge for me. Uh, this was something I always wanted to know. So um, I did do a lot of different things in this life to, to find out about past lives, and that that lifetime could come up. So to answer uh, Rick's question, I think it for me it has to do with that my soul has been interacting with these uh, entities before. Well, I remember that from your book, Dev, and uh, the book, just to remind everybody, UFO Investigator, a personal look into circumstances, investigations, and discovery, and we'll give Dev a chance to talk about that more later. Uh, one of the technical issues that arose in my mind when I read about that incident was you mentioned that it was in the 1800s. Now, that's probably from your current perspective, but I wonder, you know, how would a Native American boy know about the Western calendar at that point and, and what period it was? The second thing that arose is uh, we, we have, a, have an issue with, with reincarnation and the classical interpretation of it because time... If Einstein was correct and, and quantum physics is correct, time doesn't exist that way. There is no past. There is no future. It's all simultaneous. So as a matter of fact, when, when we uh, sp speak with regression therapists, we always bring up the issue of that. Uh, do you have subjects who describe a world you don't recognize or, or, or a date system you don't recognize? It could be the future. And they almost inevitably say yes. So... Um, but, but that in no way negates your experience. You just may, may have been experiencing a parallel life rather than a past life. But I think anything we can understand about these things, you know, if that interpretation is correct, uh, would be beneficial. So, I mean, I don't know if that's – if other things that have happened to you in, in regressions or th things of that kind would um, add arrows to that quiver or take them away or what. I mean, do you think that's a valid interpretation that you were in a parallel life, which would presumably be a lot more easy to access – in your subconscious. Well, well I, I, I wanted to say, um, this is my belief, okay, uh, 
I believe that right now I'm uh, my soul or um, is inhabiting this body, and I'm dead right now. But I also have a belief that yes, we all are living all all our lives simultaneously. Yeah, so that's here's our... the thing. So when the when the hypnotherapist asked me to give her a date, um, that's what my mind said. Sure. Now. Here's the thing. Um, I could have been living that life as that Native American boy, but I also could have been living another lifetime in the 1800s as somebody else. That's my belief. Now, um, yeah, you're right. How do I, as as a Native American boy back then, how do I know what time you know what the timeline was? Or um, here, here's the thing. It's my soul that would have answered that not that boy yeah i hear you yeah so um so that would have been the time frame that that person was living at the time and the soul was asked answering that question because the soul would have known okay um which is all of me you know that that person was part of of who i am and uh and is because and here (laughs) I'm not to get off the subject of the book, but here's the thing. I have experienced in, in this time, this life, uh, different times, and I, I'm, I'm aware of something, um, okay, like, let, I'm just going to say this really quick. My best friend, uh, who I was living, uh, I was, uh, I moved in and rented a room from uh, her house, and um, at the time, you know, we were uh, hanging out, and um, she became sick, and she never got sick or anything, and uh, I was concerned, and I said, hey, why don't you go to the doctor, and she goes, oh, I don't know, I'll be all right, and I got this overwhelming feeling that she was going to die, and it scared me, and I said, you really need to go to the doctor, I, I, maybe this is serious, and she goes, you need to relax, and I said, well, I don't know. And so I ended up going to, uh, it bothered me so much that I reached out and did a, um, uh, to find out uh, more about this in, in more of a, a past life thing. Well, I, and I did, I found out that uh, her and I lived a, uh, a past life together where, uh, and it, I won't go into all the details, but she ended up dying. And it was, the same timeline, you know, how do I say it? At that age that I was at when this was occurring, which was about 20, uh, maybe 15 years ago, that was happening in that lifetime at that time. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm. So my, my intuition, my soul, I knew something was going on, and it was just driving me crazy. I had to find out. And, um, and that's what it was. It, she died in that lifetime at this time. You see? Yeah. So, anyway, I just thought that was very interesting and I wanted to share that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, our term for that that we had to invent was super life. It's all the, li- all the lives together that make you, make up you. That sort of thing. And really all, all of us in a sense. Uh, one of the things too, Deb, that came up, uh, that I was fascinated in, in, in your book, uh, with the idea of the paranormal experiences that occurred 
in your parents' home sort of in conjunction with some of these things. I mean, we, today we call them crossover phenomena, and a lot of our friends in MUFON will will consult us uh, when somebody's being abducted, but they're also having poltergeist phenomena going on in their house. Can you tell, tell us about these uh, crossover phenomena that affected you early in life and your experience? Yeah, the uh, what was very interesting is um, I was a young, uh, I, I think I was around, uh, 23 or 24, I had asked my dad, hey, can I move back in and save some money? Um, and he said, yeah. And it w- there was, a, it, my dad, they had a big house. And uh, so I rented a room, let's say. And um, at that time, uh, in the book, I, I talked about going out in the backyard to grab my cat. And that's when I had seen this this huge object yeah, just the hovering. Thing, yeah. yeah, and it scared, I, God, it really... It made me gasp, and I have never, ever done that before or since. Yeah, you know, I just went, <gasps> you know, just the, the fear of seeing it and and how big it was and just it was just there. Um, at that time, there was a lot of, like, poltergeist activity going on uh, in the house, um, and a lot of my family members were also um, experiencing that. It was really uh, kind of eye-opening because it didn't seem like I remembered anything like that happening before that time frame, you know. Uh, and then from that time, it seemed for me, anywhere I moved, I was continuing to have um, kind of like poltergeist activity. Interesting. Okay, uh, Ben or Rick, any comments before we get to Peter's next question? Please, Rick, after you. Thank you. Um, Just quickly, going back one subject um, to the soul, is the the concept of walk-in. Do you feel that that can explain some of your experiences from an early child, possibly that your your soul walked into this life, uh, wasn't born but walked in? Yeah, um, you know, what's interesting about that is um, I had come across uh, years and years ago, I'd come across that terminology of, of a walk-in and, and what that entailed, uh, which basically is that when a person is born, they have this soul that's going to inhabit the body and, you know, live that life. Um, what was interesting to me was, and I... My mother's still alive, thank goodness. Um, but we had, you know, when I was writing this book and I was kind of going back to her about asking different things, uh, she was bringing out pictures of my, of, of my younger time, you know, like when I was a baby, like when I was a little kid. She was showing me pictures and saying, oh, do you remember this? Because I'm their firstborn. So she, uh, I, she would be showing me all these pictures and I'd be like, no, I don't know. I don't have any memory of that. And she would be like, oh, well, this was a special day. Why didn't you remember this? And I said, I don't, I don't remember any of it. And so she was very shocked. Um, but when I would look at this, these pictures of myself in various ages that she was showing as, as a child, um, I was just staring at it at the face, the eyes, and, and saying, God, you know, in some ways it didn't seem like it was me. And um, 
and I just thought, well, that's just because I don't remember or, you know, maybe my looks changed over the years. Um, but I was thinking that, you know, like listening to how my mother would talk about how what kind of person I was when I was younger and then like kind of like as I was getting older, it just seemed like I wasn't really even the same person. And um, I, I had wondered if I was a walk-in, you know, based on the fact that I don't really remember a lot of when I was young. And yet, and when looking at pictures, I sometimes I would think, is that really me, you know? So that, that, that's just something that I had wondered. Yeah, there's no proof that I can say that that's true, but, um, you know, that's just kind of, I, I always just thought about that kind of thing. You know, I relate to that 100%. And uh, it's not about me. It's about you on the show today. But uh, I, I really, maybe we talk about that off the air sometime. So uh, the uh, the notion uh, if walk-ins and, and parallel lives don't think you're correct uh, m- might be why uh, aliens, if that's what they are in the sense we understand them, uh, when they have crashes and bodies and things, seem to treat death as a as a minor inconvenience you know rather because there's so many other lives going on and i think um i I look at at death quote unquote the same way i don't even believe in it uh but anyway that's irrelevant so let's go on to uh another question from peter do you have there ben we could uh but very quickly perhaps we should ask about books and such oh yeah absolutely good idea yes uh deb please tell us about books websites where people can find out more where they can get the book yes um the book is uh, available on Amazon in both uh, a printed book and an e-book. Um, I opt to have this book in uh, the images in color because I do feature, I have 30, 30 cases that I put in the book. Uh, there was a lot more that I wanted to do, but it, it, the book was just going on and on. It was taking so much time. Um, but So there's 30 cases, and I wanted to try to put as many images as I could uh, of those cases in there, and I did reach out to, uh, you know, uh, a, a couple of uh, artists to do some um, renditioning of what the witness saw. Sometimes I had, um, you know, there's, these some of these witnesses are artists in their own right, so they, they had provided those uh, images. So I wanted them colored because I want, I wanted to bring this to life, you know, and everybody, you know, there's a few people that I talked to before I had the book uh, published was like, oh, it'll just, you know, just keep it black and white, you know, and, you know, you'll probably make more money off the book, you know, and I said, it's not about money. It's more about, you know, how I want to present the book. I wanted the color images in there, so I didn't care if it cost me more money or not. (laughs) So I... I love the idea of, I, I don't know if I'm old school, but I just love a, the feel of a book in my hand. And when I'm turning the pages and I'm seeing these images that I tried to make sure had enough color in them and to bring them to life, I, I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, it's, um, it's very infor- web- one of the most informative books I've ever read on the subject. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, I try to, uh, I'm a very visual person. So that's why it was important to try to put as much uh, images as I could um, gather. Uh, 
You know, uh, my mind's racing right now. Uh, I just wanted to mention uh, the website, uh, northerncaliforniamufon.com. I created that website for us here in NorCal. Um, you can go there and look at our team of investigators. Uh, my book is also uh, listed there. There's links that you can just click on to take you to uh, Amazon. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to share that. Also, I do run a Rockland UFO meetup group. You can go on to meetup um or actually, we have monthly meetings every second Saturday. And, um, in fact, next Saturday, I will be uh, interviewed about my book as well on there. So if you, if you were to um, get on the meetup, and you could uh, ask me additional questions, too, as well. So, so that's virtual for people who don't live in Northern California. Right, because it's on a Zoom. It's on okay. Zoom. So. Good. Yeah. All right, excellent. Okay, uh, well, in our last few minutes here, uh, do we have a question from Peter that's uh, quick? Uh, we do. Uh, we've kind of kind of drifted away from the subject quite a bit, so this this takes us back to um, Henry uh, Sangmaster's UFO encounter. Um, and he, he makes an interesting point, which uh, Henry said that the UFO disappeared in the direction of the Aerojet uh, Rocket Dime property. Uh, did you attempt to contact Aerojet about the incident? And if so, what happened? No, I did not. Um yeah, I, I just did not. Uh, here's the thing. At the time that I was doing in the investigation on this particular case, I, when it comes to my MUFON cases, I'm usually carrying like 15 cases at a time. So <laughs> it's, and I was working full time at the time, uh, trying to live my life. Uh, I just did, you know, that particular case i did not reach out to aerojet but i just was really swamped at the time so and that that sounds like a lame excuse i know but no i did not uh reach out to them and here's the thing if here's another thing if the aerojet facility were they what they manufacture is um fuel okay uh you know, for rockets and stuff, but if this was associated, if this, if this, uh, UFO or, or craft had anything to do with it belonging to them, they would have never said anything to me. Yeah, that's a good point, you know? actually. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so he's, his final question, um, shifts to a different case. Uh, your book also features a case called the Rancho Cordova Disc. Uh, could this be related as this has been an Aerojet location as well. Well, that is the case. That is Henry's case. Ah, then, okay. <laughs> then, it, is, then it is a, a, a case of mistaken identity, I suppose. Well, well there's, another is, uh... case, there's another case that's in the book that I uh, profile. Uh, it was a triangular craft that was on the back side of that property in a very remote uh, two-lane road. I went out there, and um, the the witness could not meet me. He had COVID at the time, mm. and uh, he was not feeling well. And he wanted to go out there, but and I even suggested, well, we could social distance, and I'll wear a mask, 
stay away from each other. But he, he was too ill. So what he did was he provided me a map with step-by-step where he was. And it was really good. It's, uh, it, actually, it's in, the, it's in the book. But so the question there was this triangular craft that he saw, and it, as it flew parallel to that road, it did end up making a left going north, which would have been part of the uh, Aerojet property are pretty close or adjacent to. So that question is, well, was this triangular craft just, you know, something that was out there mainly because of because of Aerojet or, or you know, I don't know. We, we don't have those answers. Okay. Well, I think we're just about out of time. I wish we had three hours. We didn't get to most of our questions here. But, Dev, uh, thank you. And, Rick, uh, what's going on with you? Well, uh, I'm hoping to see you in October. I'm trying to work that out now. Yeah. Uh, you can do your there, see some of the family. Um, other than that, we're just we're in NASCAR Cup Series Finals, and we're just all rooting for Joey Logano. That's it. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. Cousins speaking riddles, but uh, I don't know anything about that sort of thing. Anyway, the, good luck to the guy whoever he is. So let's uh, begin our announcements. We got a ton of them today. Uh, On Friday, September 17th at 7 p.m., I'll present a program on poltergeists via Zoom, sponsored by the Tewksbury Public Library in Tewksbury, Massachusetts. Uh, You can find information and register at tewksburypl.org. And on Tuesday, September 21st, only in a couple weeks, my dad will present a program on UFOs, cryptids, and ghosts via Zoom to the Mainline MUFON in Philadelphia. You can check out mainlinemufon.com. And, of course, that's virtual, too. So, um, and I guess anybody, if you live in Zimbabwe or somewhere, you can still participate. You don't have to be in Philadelphia. Provided you have Internet. Right. On Friday, October 8th, uh, I'll present a paranormal overview at a somewhat unlikely venue, the Arizona Dowsers Conference at the Little America Hotel in Flagstaff. Uh, that's still an in-person event at this point. Uh, but stay tuned on that. Uh, the website is dowsersouthwest.com for more information. And, Rick, I'm hoping that uh, you will be able to uh, jet in there in your Gulf Stream with the family, and uh, we'll be seeing other cousins, <laughs> and we'll parachute have a parachute raid to the event. family reunion and a, and a, and a show uh, a strategy session. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I'm hoping we can be there. Yeah. Sam, are you going or no? Uh, unfortunately, I cannot, um, but I will be there in spirit. Yes, we'll learn all about dowsing. Anyway, what we got next, Ben? Next, uh, let's see. Oh, don't forget about the Haverhill Public Library. On Thursday, October 21st, um, my dad will be at the Haverhill Public Library in Haverhill, Massachusetts, to present on Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. uh, This is scheduled to be an in-person event, but stay tuned. And Ben, I hope you will join me if you can. You were there last time we were there, but I know it's a tough uh, weeknights are tough for you. Indeed they are, but it's okay. We'll see. You know, you know how it goes. Existing yes. is hard. Uh, we'll present once again at the Western Connecticut UFO Conference uh, during the last week of October this year. On uh, Sunday the 24th, we'll do a live simulcast with the conference. Uh, this will be an open-line show format with Kathleen Martin taking questions uh, from conference participants and our global audience on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case, which 2021 is actually the 60th 
anniversary. Uh, on the following Saturday, COVID variants permitting, uh, we'll present live at the Danbury, Connecticut Public Library to wrap up the conference. Uh, other presenters that week will include Mark D'Antonio, Tom Reed, Michael Scrat, Linda Zimmerman, and Mike Panicello from Connecticut MUFON. Well, you know, Ben, uh, me being here today and you too is probably your grandmother's fault because when I was a, l- a young lad, uh, she showed me things in the paper about Betty and Barney Hill in 1961 when it happened. I can only imagine what Grandma would have said. Uh, no, you can't. And then in, in 1966 or so, she was showing me stuff about the Mothman incidents from West Virginia. So maybe it was um, partially her fault. Uh, Rick, we already talked about uh, what's going on with you. Uh, anyway, after years of technical problems, uh, all regular recorded radio broadcasts of Behind the Paranormal from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WOON AM and FM, have been restored in the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com. Also fully restored are the Return to Rendlesham series from 2010-2011 on CBS Radio and all related shows along with the Achieve Radio monthly two-hour specials from 2009. Still working on restoring other special shows, podcasts, and interviews, but that will be done soon, so we're making progress. You can also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and many more. In addition, our show has its own app now. As we say, it's very basic, but it's free. Uh, right now, it just has uh, most of our past shows, but we plan to add features as we go once we figure out the software. It should be in the Apple and Google online stores soon. I keep saying that, but there are a lot of hoops to jump through. You wouldn't believe it, because they think you want to sell it, so they have to take care of all the tax things. But we're not selling. It's free. But anyway, there's a link at BehindTheParanormal.com if you'd like to do- download that app now. And it should work on uh, your smartphone of any uh, variety. Indeed. And you can check out our books along with those of our guest co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances and how to book us, along with some of our 900-plus pre-recorded shows as rest- that are now restored, as mentioned by my father previously. Now, our website has a charity page with links to several good causes we've adopted on the show. And, of course, there's so many disasters going on in the world. Uh, we, we tend to mention uh, uh, American Red Cross uh, and the directrelief.org. We suggest those are good. We also have uh, charity A Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, uh, usacares.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, uh, particularly Helping Haiti's Orphans. And uh, we are very involved with that, and the, sh- the, the, the orphans are okay uh, after the latest earthquake. It's ironic because many of them are in uh, the um, uh, orphanage there that, that we support uh, from because they lost their parents in the 2010 earthquake, and here's another quake, but the mm-hmm. children are all okay. We also have Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, of particular interest now uh, that we have the uh, 20th anniversary of that coming up. So what do we have for next week, Ben? So next week, uh, that is September 12th, uh, we'll bring you an open line show to answer your questions on all sorts of paranormal subjects. And we're out of time for our quote. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Rick Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.